Representative Ruben Gallego, the Democrat from Arizona, has called on the Department of Veterans Affairs to strip benefits from any service members and veterans who stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. And Gallego, by the way, is a veteran himself. He said, those service members' actions are not representative of the larger population of American veterans, and they should be punished accordingly. He literally asked the Veteran Affairs Secretary Dennis McDonough to withdraw benefits from those active duty service members or veterans or military retirees who took part in what he called the January 6th riots. This is so, they've gone so far over, they have literally alienated even people who normally would be on their side. Or it's certainly my hope. Because that's, that is absolutely crazy. So in other words, veterans don't have a right to redress their grievances if they have them with the government. Nobody stormed the Capitol. You know, that's not what happened. It wasn't an insurrection. It wasn't an armed insurrection. They just keep repeating these lies and people keep, uh, you know, saying, oh, yeah, 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 that's what happened. No, no. What happened yesterday in Rochester, that's an insurrection. When you keep people locked in a supermarket, 100 people locked in a supermarket because they, they're afraid to come out because you're, you've got protests uh, and, and people marching and screaming at them. And even that's not an insurrection, but it's certainly uh, mention, worth mentioning, and I didn't see much of it on the news. And then this this whole, you know, I, I have a podcast that will be dropping as soon as I get it to the producer, um, where I talk about, you know, this whole rewriting of American history and trying to make us all feel bad and guilty all the time really is starting to wear me down. And just the last week of first, uh, you know, listening to this, uh, every time you hear a news story, it's the color of the people uh, if it's white. You know, a white man shot to death eight people in Atlanta area spies, spas or whatever, six of them, Asian American. According to Atlanta police, however, the man said he was targeting brothels and blamed the women for his alleged sex addiction. The gunman stated he had visited two of the spas before and had planned to drive to Florida and target the pornography industry. So far, there's no evidence that he was motivated by anti-Asian animus. Um, so we can't call that a hate crime. And then, and then we listened to this yesterday. Oh, all day yesterday and all day the day before. A white man shot 10 people in a supermarket in Boulder, Colorado. It's absolutely cynical because we didn't know anything. First and foremost, you know, this whole idea of calling people uh, by their race, even when you don't know their background at all, is pretty, uh, has proven over and over again to be inaccurate in describing them. The person who shot 10 people, including a police officer in Colorado, was not what I would consider a classically white person. He was a Syrian refugee and uh, had a, a real anti-American attitude, not an anti, uh, I don't know. You, you just, you, you have to take this all in and realize they, they, this is how you destroy a country. 
This is what they're, they're attempting to do, is to destroy this country. When you have Ilhan Omar trying to be the conscious of America, I mean, give me a break. You know, it's grotesque what, what we have allowed to be placed into the public discourse without ever resisting or fighting back. You know, this whole BLM uh, movement with these protesters mobbing the store, trapping 100 people inside, customers inside, and then screaming at those customers, we're shutting S down. And S is the, their word for poop. Rochester, New York, mobbed a Wegmans grocery store. Video show protesters chanting Black Lives Matter and referring to Daniel Prude, a black man who died about a week after a viral encounter with the Rochester Police Department. And the attorney general announced last month that a grand jury will not seek charges against the officers involved in the uh, episode accident. We have a long walk today. We're shutting it down. Unbelievable. Disrupting traffic, disrupting people's lives, terrorizing people. That's terrorism when you can't walk out of the supermarket, okay? Occupy City Hall. That's what they do. Shoppers cannot leave a store. Hundreds of people trapped in the Wegmans. You can't. You know, you can't tell me this is okay. I guess fire codes and trespassing aren't things in Rochester anymore. What an embarrassing day for the city of Rochester and the, and the police department of Rochester when 100 customers are trapped in a store by a mob. But, but, but no, 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 we're not going to talk about this as, uh, you know, as terrorism or, or domestic terrorism. What the heck is it then? If it's not domestic, if citizens are trapped inside of a store, afraid to come out, that's not terrorism? What is it? Unbelievable. We're more than just taxpayers in their capitalist system. We're human beings, and we demand to be treated as such. What does that even mean? They, they spout these things. You hear these you know, phrases over and over again. You hear them on the television and then you hear them coming out of the mouths of these protesters. It's like they all have one script and they're all reading from it. They don't live in our community. Police live in the suburbs. What? I've never known that to be particularly true. Then there's arguments in the middle of all these riots and we're supposed to just say, well, it was a peaceful, peaceful protest. They're just peacefully protesting. And those people on the Capitol Hill were not peacefully protesting, most of them. Yes, they were. There were more peaceful protests on January 6th in Washington than there were, uh, you know, crashing of the, of the Capitol building. Way more. But that's completely gone out the window. All the people that I know that went up there, they're not to be recognized. And they don't want to say anything either because they're afraid if they say that they were there or if their credit card shows that they stayed there or they had a plane ticket that they could be under investigation. You can't make this stuff up. They're, they're fearful, but the people who march and keep people trapped inside of a supermarket are bold, arrogant, in your face. The people who burn police departments down or who jump on police cars and light them on fire, they're arrogant and, they're, and we're supposed to say, well, they're just peacefully protesting. You know, they're, they're protesting against this racist America that you live in. Yeah, I, I'm just about, I've had it.
I really have. I've had it. I, I just I don't want to play this game anymore. I don't want to. I, they're winning. You know, I don't mind losing fairly, but I, I don't like playing a game where one side um, is declared the winner whether they win or not, and where they have every referee on their side, whether it's the press, whether it's the media, whether it's the pol political class. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a border agent the other day who told me, and then a big news story came out, I think, uh, yesterday, um, where another border patrol agent, and I'm not going to tell you any of their names, talked about what it looks like right now on the border. Family unit holding cells that smell like urine and vomit, fights that break out in the unaccompanied minor cells, because most of those unaccompanied minors are aging teenagers. There's scabies, lice, the flu, and COVID-19 running rampant through these facilities. 80 individuals squeezed into 24 by 30 foot cell, not enough mattresses for everyone, sheets of plastic divide the rooms. Any diseases that are in there are being kept in there like a Petri dish. My friend said it smells horrific. It's overwhelming. Now think about that. The Border Patrol agents are on the front lines, and they're so frustrated right now, risking their lives that they're telling. They have one or two agents to control 300 to 500 people during a shift. No agent wants to report any, any kind of bad conduct or, or even physical or sexual assaults between the aliens because then they get blamed for letting it happen. They're also forced to separate a child from an extended family member because he or she is not a biological parent. The number of unaccompanied minors, that means children under 18 or who say they're under 18 because we have no way of knowing, is buckling the system. Buckling it. They got to get them out. They got to transfer them within 72 hours. It used to be easy, my friend said, to get them out in 72 hours. Not anymore. They're staying here for 10, 12 days. It's horrific. They've apprehended since October 1st of 2020 more than 29,000 unaccompanied children. The whole year but prior to that were just over 33,000. The numbers are on a trajectory to suppress even 2019, right? When they caught, I don't know, 80,000 plus. Unbelievable. But there's not a crisis. No, no, no. And this is all Trump's fault, of course. Because you see these people, it was their pent-up waiting for Joe Biden that's created the crisis. Oh, no, it's not a crisis. Wait a minute. It's a challenge. They're faced with a challenge in this administration. They are faced with a challenge. You know what that challenge is? A, a, a man in control who's not in control at all, which is why they have now switched officially to describing this as the Biden-Harris administration, because that 25th Amendment that Nancy Pelosi was so busy talking about, guess what? They're going to have to use it on their guy, because I don't care what you say. This, uh, you know, Joe Biden is looking worse and worse and worse as the days go by. Anybody in that office ages dramatically. I would say Trump was one of the few that uh, seemed to retain some of his vim and vigor in spite of getting covid and in spite of the fact that he slept three or four hours a night, if that much. But you look at how Obama you know, aged, how Bush aged, how Clinton aged, how it's just amazing. But, you know, it's, a, it's 
pretty intense job, you know. Biden's not up to it. This is elder abuse. I'm offended by what the world must be saying about a country that would hoist some uh, doddering, failing, older man into a position like this and then surround him with every left-wing whack job in the country. But other than that, it's a beautiful day. The weather's lovely here in South Florida. Don't forget, at 3 o'clock, Ben Shapiro comes your way. Uh, Dana Lash will follow me at 1 o'clock. And, of course, uh, we have Michael Knowles, the all-new Michael Knowles show, at 5 p.m. And then Jen, without Bill, uh, but with Stephen and with Karen, tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. So... Why would anybody listen to anything else? I, I just don't understand it. Well, I guess for the same reason that you'd vote for Joe Biden. I'll be right back. Coming up at 1230, I'll be speaking with Bob Woodson from 1776 Unites, which is a movement to liberate tens of millions of Americans. And we'll get into that. Nonpartisan, intellectually diverse writers and thinkers. Oh, yes, there are still some great minds out there. Unfortunately, um, most of them are not in leadership positions. So, yeah. So now we have all of these uh, new ways of looking at the news. That's not news anymore. It's, it's not journalism anymore. It's basically opinion-driven, uh, conflict-producing, hate-filled uh, op-eds. Everything is. You know, in American journalism right now, you have nothing but incompetent broadcasters and people who are literally promoting dishonesty, incentivizing, you know, hatred, malice, making people go after one another over just about anything. You know, you don't even have to have any real philosophical bent at all. You just have to hate. You want to get ahead in media? You just lie. You, you'll, you'll be a big, big celebrity. You, you had this one woman on MSNBC who was considered a, a, an opinion columnist. She wrote on an article at msnbc.com, which Michelle Malkin writes a whole piece about. It's a hit piece, you know, and, and it targets a group of young college conservatives who broke away from the establishment College Republican National Committee, Okay. The students thought that those that the chapters of the college Republicans are far left on a lot of social issues, on foreign policy. And so it's basically the same thing that we see between the Trump supporting populists and the, uh, you know, rhinos, and the, the elites in the Republican Party. That's all. You know, the, the people in this and Michelle knows these people. She speaks for them. Uh, she spoke at Arizona State University uh, last year. The College Republicans United, I think, is the name of their group. And they, they are America first people. They're, they're uh, Trump-supporting young people. And so the article that was on MSNBC.com refers to this as white supremacy and Nazi sympathizers. And, and, that's, and, and the way she validated that you know, her article was college students are falling in love with white supremacy. And her proof that the kids are white supremacists is that Michelle Malkin endorsed them. And Michelle Malkin, according to uh, this author, I think it's her name, Talia Levin. Yeah. Um, 
she she said that Michelle Malkin is a fringe white nationalist figure. Well, imagine that. Um, she's brown. Michelle Malkin is. And not fringe. She's just bright. Le- everything in this uh, Levin's uh, shtick is white supremacy, Nazis, white supremacy, Nazis. She said that a combat-wounded war veteran and a computer forensic analyst for the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, a guy by the name of Justin Gartner, was sporting a Nazi tattoo, an iron cross, when he was actually a Maltese cross, the symbol of the double amputees platoon in Afghanistan, where he lost both legs during a mission clearing IEDs, where, by the way, he earned the uh, Marine Corps Achievement Medal with Combat Valor and the Purple Heart before he joined ICE. And what he's doing is uh, fighting online child exploitation. But the Harvard-educated Levin had to apologize because she was the fact checker for New Yorker magazine. But she didn't retract a single word of the diatribe called, no, we don't have to be friends with Trump supporters, which basically endorsed hatred and violence against uh, Nazis and ICE agents. Where they go low, stomp them on the head, she said. Okay, these are the people that are called journalists now. Then she snagged a job as a lecturer for NYU uh, journalism class, which got canceled for lack of interest, before she was uh, given a job as an extremism researcher for the George Soros-funded Media Matters uh, in 2019. She got a deal for a book that resulted in a 2020 book on, guess what? White supremacy, what else? And she just published an op-ed in the Boston Globe on, guess what, white supremacy. And she was quoted earlier this month in The Forward to bolster the hysterical conspiracy theory that the conservative political action uh, conference stage, that's the CPAC stage, was deliberately shaped in the form of a Nazi runic symbol. You, You can't make this stuff up. And she's a blue check mark, verified Twitter account. She lied on Twitter about being chased from a free speech conference in Philadelphia. The problem is that the conference was highly secure and under a lot of surveillance. It was at, a, I think, a casino. And the director of security confirmed that no foot chases or any incidences occurred where anybody got chased. She put a a picture up of an anti-COVID lockdown activist holding a sign that read, Work Sets You Free. Arbeit Meich Frei, which appears over the entrance of the Auschwitz concentration camp. She juxtaposed the two images with her caption, This is intentional. So she was just smearing reopen American protesters as Nazis. And if Andy No hadn't caught that, nobody else would have known. So that's what you got to do. You want to get ahead in journalism today? Then just lie, and you'll climb high. At the rate she keeps fabricating, she'll be like, you know, co-anchoring the news on MSNBC with a Brian, uh, I I flew in a chopper in the middle of a war zone, Williams. You know, if you're a liberal and you're in the media, it comes with some perks, some privileges. That's for sure. If you're a conservative, not so much. 
Although if you look at my blog piece today, um, Peter Ducey really had Jen Psaki all, you know, babbling, just babbling. Um, when he, he just points things out. I, I love this Peter Ducey guy. He's the antithesis of his mild-mannered father, Steve Ducey, in that morning show. Uh, Peter Ducey frames his questions well. He's not afraid of anybody. Uh, we go after Biden, Trump, anybody. Uh, that's the you know one of the few guys out there asking some important questions. So um, credit where credit is due. All right, and don't forget to download our 850 app. All you got to do is go to your app store, whatever that is, Apple or Google, and download the 850 WFTL app. Become a registered user between now and the end of the month, and you can enter for a chance to win 500 bucks. Just just like that. I mean, it's, it's e as easy as getting a stimulus check from the government, only your tax dollars are not being used to pay you that stimulus check. No, no, the radio station is giving you the $500. So do it right now. Go to the App Store and download the all-new 850 WFTL app and become a registered user. We're going to take a quick break. I'll be back with Bob Woodson from the Woodson Center. All right, and uh, welcome now. I have a great opportunity to speak with a person who, well, he's just an amazing human being, has led an amazing life, and continues to be an activist. He was, back in the 60s, a very prominent civil rights activist. And right now he is, of course, uh, still working. He's got a 1776 Unites website. He's got the Woodson Center. Uh, let me introduce Bob Woodson. How are you, sir? I'm just fine. Yeah. You're, you're fine like I'm, I'm fine. fine. Yeah. You're fine like I'm fine. We're in good health, but when we watch what's going on in our country today, we're very frustrated. I mean, the idea that race has now become a cudgel to be used against one another isn't helping our country. It really isn't. And it's most destructive. And that's why we're doing everything we can to mobilize, to push back against this this trend that is really separating us. I've never seen anything like it. And what's never. happening, it, uh, yeah, neither have I. And, and, I mean, you lived through absolute real segregation, and now you see these colleges that are hosting multiple graduations. you got to have a graduation for this race and a graduation for this gender and a graduation for this gender preference. How is that, you know, e pluribus unum? Well, it's just leading us in, in, in the, the opposite direction, um, where uh, we have over 77 co uh, colleges that have separate dorms. They call it affinity dorms uh, for blacks, to Hispanics, uh, women, uh, all. For, and, and it's just leading us in, 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 the, in the wrong direction. That's why what we've done at the Woodson Center is to organize a pushback since they're using race and the the, the, the condition of black America as the um, instrument of this denigration of the country, we've, we've believed it's important for the messengers uh, pushing back against this should also be a, a blacks as well. And that's why we put together 1776 at the Woodson Center, a group of 20-plus uh, scholars and activists. We've come together uh, sort of mimicking the civil rights movement. It was black-led, but all groups participated in pursuing justice. 
So we're trying to rescue this country from itself. And that's it. If we if we fall, it'll be because of our inability to stop this nonsense. I mean, I know the Smith College story. If you would, you know, tell my listeners what a fiasco that is. And, and imagine considering it a civil rights issue. Right. It's really a perversion of civil rights that this young black student uh, decided that she wanted to be a racial martyr. So she sat in, an, in, in a, in a um, cafeteria where she, that was off limits because it was being used for a summer program. And she was uh, politely asked to leave by the janitor and the security. And then she went into a meltdown, I think a contrived meltdown, and said she was, um, she was uh, asked to leave being profiled because of her race. And so the, the president of the college responded in support of what she did. The ACLU came in and declared that this was a racial environment. And so the, the cafeteria workers and the janitors were sanctioned. Some lost their jobs. Uh, and then the, uh, the school commissioned a study to investigate these charges and found that it was false, that this young lady acted incorrectly. But... The president of the college, rather than apologize, she said, well, it's subconscious racism. And so, therefore, uh, she insisted that these uh, cafeteria workers accept uh, uh, tr the race grievance training, I call it. Yeah. But, and it was most humiliating uh, for them to have to undergo uh, DEI training um, just because of the actions of this young woman. Mm -hmm. And so we organized a group of blacks to write a letter to the uh, president demanding that she publicly apologize and also um, help, you know, help them by giving them the money that they lost as a result of this, of this false charges. You, and I loved, I read the letter um, that, that was written to the Smith College president, and, and you said, imagine if you had searched the pockets of every black uh, employee at the, uh, at the school because of one person's bad behavior. It's tantamount to what you did to every cafeteria worker, regardless of race. Exactly. I, and, and as I indicated in the letter, I'm a veteran of the civil rights movement. Yeah. I didn't fight to oppose white racism only to replace it with black racism. As Dr. Yeah. King said, racism isn't bad because it's visited upon blacks by whites. It's bad because it is evil, and we all must come together to, to uh, oppose it. Uh, but it's really a perversion of the civil rights movement. Yeah. And, and that's why um, about 50 of my colleagues... Uh, Shelby Steele, Glenn Lowry, um, scholars, doctors, lawyers, ordinary folks came together on a solid front. And I have, we have 50 signatures on that letter. Wow. Yeah. Well, listen, this whole critical race theory, the, the more I examine it and, you know, the more I'm being assaulted by it, um, the more I realize it's, it's, it's simply a political agenda that has nothing to do actually with race. It has everything to do with Marxism. And, and, and that's why you see that those words even used by the BLM founders and all the rest of it. This is not about 
equity or equality. It's about uh, everybody being punished. <laughs> uh, it's just I'm, they I'm really so did, and they use the uh, America's racial past as the rationale for um, embracing values that are that are hostile to America's uh, past and future. For instance, they, they talk of, and they don't care about justice for blacks. They're just using it as a as a as a as a substitute, mm -hmm. as a, as a bludgeon. The very fact that after when they went to Portland, Oregon, they migrated from justice for blacks to burning the Bible, denigrating the Christian cross, because they said that the cross, Christian cross, is a symbol of white supremacy. And on Black Lives Matter's website, they also denigrate the, the nuclear family as well, being you know, and, uh, and, and Eurocentric and therefore racist. So they're making their agenda quite obvious. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and just the whole premise, you know, I, I, in my own personal experience, you know, I'm, I'm of a Hispanic background, I'm married to an African-American, and when I get told, that I have to read White Fragility uh, to, to, you know, understand what racism is really all about. You know, I point out the fact I'm 67 years old in an interracial marriage. Trust me, I know what racism is, and it's not what you're telling me it is. Um, many of us don't have any of these biases. Many of us have interracial families. Um, and, and that's something else that you civil rights icons always said. When we know one another intimately, when we are, uh, you know, living in, in, in the same world together. My husband grew up in a two-parent family in a middle-class home, and I grew up impoverished. So where's my white privilege? <laughs> Exactly. But yeah. my, my prayer is that, uh, that most of guilty white America will overcome it and, and engage in what I'm calling race fatigue. Mm. And they will begin to stand up and summon the moral courage to push back against these naysayers and stop feeling guilty about something over which you have no control. Right. And so that's why we're standing up um, in, in, as a group of blacks supporting the, the assault on a group of white, blue-collar workers. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to make a bold statement by that to say that we are united against injustice. Yeah. And, and so we hope that others will follow and that we can get America back on track to, yeah. as Dr. King said, to be judged by the content of our character, not the color of our skin. That's our goal, yeah. is to have a multiracial movement that is a backlash against this uh, critical race theory. They used to call critical race theory, um, you know, for what it is, stereotyping. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, listen, these divisions that exist, uh, you know, aren't going to be overcome by this sort of in-your-face you're bad and and everything that uh, you think you don't believe you do believe it doesn't work and in one day they're going to push so keep pushing and poking people in the chest and there is going to be much more violence and that's not what someone like you and i want to see um, we've been through those violent times in the 60s and um, anybody who well, thinks that's well, fun that's why we are trying to provide a way out that's why we brought some 
that one of the ways that we can stop this onslaught is a lot of it's being done in the name of, of justice for blacks. Well, black America needs to withdraw their moral authority to say to these whites who and, and elite blacks who are profiting off of racial grievance. I mean, millions of dollars are going into race grievance training from corporations to local units of government. Even school systems are taking Title I monies that are supposed to be spent on low-income kids and sending their teachers off to receive um, very expensive race grievance training. Um, and and so, so it, the whole country is saturated with this. But we're trying to push back against it, and I think one of the ways to do it is by having particularly low-income blacks that the Woodson Center serves stand up and say they don't speak for us. Mm. Well, I, I certainly wish you great success in this 1776 uh, project and, and just in continuing to get the word out because you're right. I mean, it's going to fall to um, generations that come after you and I who really don't understand what it was like uh, to live in a segregated country. They live in the greatest nation on earth, but there were times when it wasn't the greatest nation on earth, and it was through champions of peace and, and, and coming together that we achieved what we have today, and they're going to ruin it all in, in a decade. Yeah, and what are we doing to our children to, to say to them that they need to be protected from, from, from challenge and, and adversity? Mm -hmm. we're, great, we're raising a group of fragile children. How are they going to meet the normal... Uh, push and pulls of life, the challenges that life often presents us. How are you going to do this if the goal is always uh, imbue in, in, in them with the notion that, that, that they should be protected from conflict? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're, we're raising a group of young people who are, they want their own dorm. They don't think they, sh they should be sheltered from uh, unpleasant conversation. Mm-hmm. There's this, there's this real uh, uh, sheltering of these children that I think does not prepare them for the push and pulls of life. Yeah, and I dread the thought of what happens when my grandchildren uh, have to pick. You know, when they go off to college, biracial kids, um, do they have to pick which dorm they live at? I mean, it's, it's, it's scary to me how we've, we've literally created a nightmare for a generation that was supposed to be the proof that we overcame the past. Right, but I think we just have to be, to be persistent, and, and I, I'm impressed with how much uh, support our movement is getting from around oh, the good. country. Good. Well, it's certainly much needed. And again, thank you so much. You have done um, remarkable things over a remarkable life. And you, you ain't done yet, are you? No, I'm not yet. <laughs> I, get, I gathered. And the, the website, if people want to uh, go to the website, it's 1776 Unites. 1776Unites.com. 1776Unites. Com. And I have a new book out that also is called Lessons from the Least of These. It can be obtained by going to Amazon. Lessons oh, from the Least of These. Okay. I'm going to have to get my hands on that book. Right. Thank you so much, Bob Woodson, for coming on today. I appreciate your okay, time. Okay. Thank you.
All right, take care. We got to take a quick final break. I want to uh, remind everybody, you can go to the podcast, and that's at 850wftl.com slash Joyce, or if you did what I told you earlier and downloaded the 850 app, you wouldn't have to do anything except hit that app and, uh, you know, scroll down the menu, and it says uh, Joyce's uh, podcast. And how easy is that? I'll be right back. Man, you just uh, you just have to like take a deep breath every now and again and try to figure out like who's telling the truth and who's lying. And I, I've gotten to the point where I I can't tell the difference between the liars and the truth tellers because they all have a blue check, you know. <laughs> except for except for me, um, unbelievable, unbelievable how this is going to get. Of course, little Marco back at it. Little Marco strikes again now, you know, with a red flag bill. Like, we don't have enough problem with that. I didn't even talk about this today because it, what's the point? Every time there's a shooting, I have to sit through the endless uh, haranguing of the Chuck Schumers of the world and the Joe Bidens of the world telling me that because some crazy person uh, shot up a bunch of innocent people, that I can't have a gun, you know, and, and my, my old, I have said this from the very beginning of these mass shootings, which are terribly tragic. No one's going to say that, you know, it's okay. It's not okay, but it's not going to stop happening because that's just the nature of human beings is they, people get crazy in a way sometimes where they kill people, whether they do it by going in and, and shooting them or whether they do it by blowing up a building or whether they do it by, you know, putting a bomb somewhere on a roadway. Um, people, people kill each other and it's terrible and it's very sad, but it's not because they have guns. If they didn't have guns, they would find another way to kill people and it could be even worse. And and the idea that ARs are these, you know, weapons of mass destruction and, and all of this stuff that you get every time there's a shooting, I have to hear this every single time. They are automatic weapons. No, they're not. No, they're not. Uh, they don't understand how a gun operates. They don't understand how a rifle operates. And it doesn't matter. They don't have to understand. All they do is control us by scaring us to death. And they've got half of the country, well, no, not quite half, but maybe a third of the country believing that if they were able to control purchasing guns, that there wouldn't be a crime anymore. And it's just, it's so stupid and so ludicrous. My dream is that the next time some uh, half-crazed or totally crazed lunatic walks into a supermarket, that a person like me is present there. You realize that this guy didn't just spray bullets wildly. He walked up to these people and then he killed them. Uh, that's, that's more of an execution than a, than a mass, uh, you know, murder. That, that's, that's unique. You got to be really messed up, which he was, obviously. And nobody stopped him because the only person, other person with a gun there was the police officer, and he shot the police officer first, okay? And then subsequently, other police officers came in, and now I got to sit around and listen to people say, well, the only reason he was only shot in the leg is because he was white. What? What does that mean? I, I really, 
uh, I'm just he surrendered by the way you know but that doesn't matter to, to the to the race baiters who immediately said oh another crazy white man well I don't know I don't think Syrian refugees consider themselves um, you know uh, white Nazi supremacists but well that just worked for them until it didn't work any longer when we found out the guy's name then they couldn't do that anymore and then they said, well, well, let's not mention his name. We don't want to glamorize him. You would mention his name if his name was Joe Blow, but you're not going to mention it because it's uh, Muhammad Ali or whatever. Anyway, I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, <laughs> I'll be back tomorrow at noon if it be his will and he delays his coming. I didn't mean Muhammad Ali, by the way. I don't know how, why that came out. Um, but uh, I will be back tomorrow. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. Take care of yourselves. Um, protect yourselves.